0: Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dexter Day's message comes from the Gospel reading of Luke, as you heard a few moments ago. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, the parable of the prodigal or lost son. I mean, if you were to rank the parables of Jesus, it's quite possible that this is the most famous one of all. In fact, Luke chapter 15 might be the most famous parable chapter in the Bible, as it has all of the lost parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and this, the lost son. The lost son, also with its 22 verses, is the longest parable there is, which means there's more to discuss than most parables. And if we want to try to cover as much as possible, then we better be getting started. Now, remember, a parable can be defined as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So while we're going through this, you have to place yourself in the role of the lost son and God in the role of the father. So the story goes like this. The youngest son goes to his father and asks for his inheritance— and if you know anything about inheritances, you usually only get them when the person giving it to you dies. So this younger son who demands it, right, there's no pretty please, father. It's, it's father, give me, which is essentially saying to his father, you're dead to me. And what does the father do? He gives it. What does the son then do? He says, oh, thanks so much, Dad. I'm going to build a house right next to yours so that we'll always be close. I mean, that works, right? Because you can think, you know, the inheritance was actual property back then. And, you know, the son's been given to it. And so, you know, it's been divided. And so the son's now got his plot of land. No, he's gone, right? He puts a for sale sign on that piece of property, sells it off. And then he takes everything that he has, gets as far away as he can And then he finds a wife and kids and builds a nice home for himself. No, he blows it all on living recklessly, spending without saving, if you will. Of course, the older brother will later say that he blew it on prostitutes. I mean, who knows if that's true or not, right? Maybe the brother had some friends out in that country, or maybe the word of the brother's habits spread all the way back to them. Regardless, Everything is gone. And after he blows it all, and there's nothing left, well, what happens? Here comes a famine. So now, he's really got nothing. And how bad do things get? So bad that he goes and sells himself to go and feed pigs. Now, if you can imagine, Jesus, a Jew, is telling a parable to the Jews, and they get to this part about this son, feeding pigs. Well, pigs were an unclean animal. And here in this parable is supposed a Jewish man who is now feeding these unclean animals. But even worse, he's so desperate that he wanted to eat what the pigs were eating. And no one gave him anything. No one helped him out. I mean, maybe it was because he was a foreigner. Maybe it was because there was a famine and people didn't have anything to spare. Maybe it was because now that he had no money, they had no reason to be his friend. Maybe they saw all the prostitutes, the reckless living, and, well, they didn't feel sorry for him one bit now and that he has nothing. Maybe they wanted him to learn a lesson, didn't want to enable him to continue his behavior. Maybe you'd feel that way too. Would you help him out? Or would you leave him alone? What do you think you'd do? I mean, you can imagine that this is where the sun is at rock bottom. Maybe. Because he says to himself, he smartens up a bit. He says, my father's servants have plenty of food. I know. I'll go back to my father and I'll say the right words. And maybe he'll let me work for him. The reason he maybe hasn't hit rock bottom yet is because he still thinks he can work his way back into his father's house. That his father will take him back even if it's as a servant because then he can start to repay some of that debt. Plus, what's the son's motivation for returning home? It's because he's starving and he knows that And his father's house, that even those servants have food to spare. Also his line, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Well, it sounds pretty much like Pharaoh's words to Moses and Aaron after the plague of locusts. And we know that Pharaoh doesn't let the Israelites go after that plague. His heart is hardened again. So this probable Jewish son might remember and repeat those words from Scripture, because, well, God did... Help in that moment. At this point, do you think the son is sorry for what he's done? Is he truly repentant? Place yourself in the shoes of this son. You've wished your father dead, you've blown everything that he's given you, and now you're starving. Are you going home because you're sorry? Or because you have no other option? At this point, I think you're still lost. Because you still think that you can earn your way back into your father's good graces. That he will accept you back into his home, even as a servant. But you're not a servant. You're his son. And so the son makes his way back home. Except something unexpected happens. The father sees him from a long way off, which means he is always watching and waiting for the son to return. He runs to him, hugs, and kisses him. This is where everything changes. The father gives his son grace his undeserved, unmerited, unconditional love. The son didn't deserve it. And I think it's also where we see the son finally at his lowest point. We see his true repentance. Because all he says to the father is that he has sinned against him and he is not worthy to be called his son. Because of the grace that the father has shown to his son, he knows that there is nothing that he can do to re- repay the debt, which is why he leaves out the line Treat me as one of your hired servants. And what does the father do? He gets the best robe, a sign of favor, a sign of righteousness, reconciliation, and places it on his son. He puts a ring on his finger showing where his place in the family is as a son, not a servant. He puts shoes on his feet because if anyone would have not worn shoes, it's the servants. He restores the son to his place, his rightful place in the family. And what did it cost the father? Well, it actually cost the father everything. And here's why. The father humbled himself. The father had to lower himself to go to his son who had wished him dead. He ran to his son. And because and this time you had to hike up your garments and show your bare legs to run to do this, it's not very dignified. And for a male back in this time, it is a humiliating act, actually. But what his actions also did was to show the people of the town where the son stood. Because had this son come back, without the father reaching him first, it's possible there would have been consequences for his actions. The townspeople would have rejected him. Maybe even called for his death. Instead, the father takes the full shame that should have fallen upon his son and clearly shows to the entire community that he has made everything right with his son as they walk through the streets of the town with his robe and ring and shoes on. You see this parable? It's not about the son. It's about the costly efforts of the father. This loving father who graciously gives the son what he doesn't deserve His share of the inheritance. And then he lets his son go. Gives him the freedom to turn away and run. But he's always there, watching and waiting. And when that time comes, he does everything to keep that son safe, to protect him as a loving father does, and in the end, to restore him as his son. And that's why they celebrate. It's not about the son. Remember, the town doesn't want him back. Imagine, you've treated your parents like this youngest son. You think the people in your neighborhood would want anything to do with you after that? I mean, if you were a neighbor, would you go to the party if it's about the son's return? This welcome party for the son? I wouldn't. And that's how you know that the party is about the father, not the son because the townspeople are there. It's not that the son is lost and is found, that he is dead and is alive. Rather, hear it like the father speaking. This son of mine was lost and I found him. He was dead and I brought him back to life. And that's how we know that the father is God and we are the Son. We are sinners, just like the Son. Now, maybe we haven't wished our parents dead, but God's Word does say that if we have hatred, we commit murder. Have you ever hated somebody before? No? Okay. Ever shown disgraceful behavior to someone? Treated them poorly rather than with kindness? No? Okay. Ever said to God, I don't need you. I don't want you. I can take care of myself. No? Okay. Ever taken any of the blessings that God has given you and wasted them? Spent them on reckless living? Spending without saving? Maybe even you spent it on some prostitutes? No? Okay. Ever done things in your life to satisfy the desires of your sinful flesh? Outside of marriage. No? Okay. Ever believed that your way was the right and only way? That no one else, even God, knows what's best for your life? No? Okay. Ever tried to earn your way into God's favor? That if you volunteer enough, give enough money, take care of those who have less than you, that God would show you his favor? No? No? Okay. Have you done something so terrible that you don't think you can be forgiven? No? Okay. So you don't connect with the prodigal son? Fine. We'll get to you in a moment. For those of you who do resonate with the prodigal son, you understand that you are dead in your trespasses and sins all of the things that you have done, all of your sins, lead to death. That's what you deserve. But it's not just earthly death. It's eternal death. It's being forever cut off from God the Father, so that you are no longer a child of God. It is losing your eternal inheritance. That is what you are in your lostness, in your rejection of God, in your unbelief. And there is nothing that you can do to save yourself, to earn your way back, to be reconciled to God. He has to do it all. That's why God is the Father. He is always watching and waiting for you he is ready to receive you home. But in order to rescue you, he has to humble himself. And he does this through Jesus. Jesus came to this earth, humbled himself, and became a man. And then became obedient to death. Death on a cross. A humiliating, excruciating death. While you were still a long way off, while you were still lost, condemned to death. Whereas Romans says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He willingly, voluntarily gave up his life for you while you were still in your sin because he loves you. And he knew it was the only way to save you to rescue you, to reconcile you to himself. He had to do it all. And his resurrection from the dead proves that he has done it all for you. That he has won your forgiveness. He has won your salvation. He has restored you as his child. He clothes you with righteousness. He calls you as his own dearly loved child, and he marks you as one redeemed by him. All of these things happen in baptism, by the way. And he celebrates. But not everyone celebrates. You see, as much as we call this story the parable of the lost son, it's really the parable of the lost sons. You see, the oldest son hears that the father has received this youngest son back, which means there will be no punishment and so he's angry, and he refuses to go in. What does the father do? He leaves his own party, pleads with his oldest son, maybe humiliating himself again. But this time, the oldest son will try to hurt and shame the father. Maybe even in front of all the guests, you know, if you think they all followed along. His father says, look, these Many years I have served you. I thought the son was a son and not a servant. Why is he talking about serving the father? says something about how he viewed the relationship in this moment. And I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat compared to the fattened calf at this party that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, not my brother... This son of yours, the oldest brother does not acknowledge that the younger brother is his brother, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, because obviously that's a terrible sin, you kill the fattened calf for him. Again, the party isn't about the son. It's about the father. But have you ever been the child that's done nothing wrong? yet everyone else gets the praise and glory when they're clearly not perfect? Or have you seen other people do something so terrible that you just can't believe God would forgive them? This is how the older son seems to be reacting. We could ask it in this way. Do you think even the worst criminals should be in heaven? And if you've never thought of that question before, I'll make it very simple. Think about the worst serial killer there is or has ever been. The Ted Bundys, the Jeffrey Dahmers, the John Wayne Gacy, the Harold Shipmans of the world, Harold Shipman, AKA Dr. Death. When you can put a familiar name to this idea, then maybe I think you know, you'll think of it a little bit more. If any of these criminals believed on their deathbed. They're in heaven. End of story. How does that make you feel? Do you think justice has been served? Did they get what they deserved? If there's something inside of you that just doesn't feel right about the fact that someone who could have recklessly killed so many people could still be allowed to be in heaven, then maybe you're just like the older son. Maybe you're living under the same roof as the Father, as God, and you think you're good, but you're actually lost. And again, we see the love of the Father, who had given his Son everything his share of the inheritance when he hadn't demanded it like the youngest. And then he leaves his own party to reconcile to the son. But unfortunately, you don't get the resolution that you do with everything else that happened in Luke chapter 15. Remember, the lost sheep is found, and it's brought back to the flock. The lost coin is found, and the woman celebrates the lost son, the youngest one is found and welcomed back into the family. The other lost son, at the end of the parable, is still outside the home. Sometimes the lost stay lost. And that's on them. No matter how hard God tries to bring them back, no matter matter what he does, some still reject But that doesn't mean God isn't watching. He isn't waiting. He isn't trying to do everything that he can. That he isn't working to bring about repentance. To give the gift of faith to believe. Because it's not your work. It's his. We're all lost. We're all dead in our trespasses and sins. And in our lostness, God runs to you. He hugs you. He kisses you, and he lays down his life for you. He gives you faith, brings you to repentance, and ultimately he brings you to be home with him forever. You were dead, and he brought you back to life. You were lost, and he found you. Amen.